seated. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. I'm Brian Carroll, one of the pastors here at Cypress Bible Church. Glad to have you here this, with us this morning. Uh, if you are new here at Cypress Bible Church, we want to extend a, a special welcome and glad that you're here. Uh, at Cypress Bible Church, we say wherever you're at in your journey, you are welcome here. And um, we would love to connect with you, and there's many ways you can do that. But the primary way we say that one of the best ways is on the back of the pews is a little QR code. And if you click on that, it will take you to a connect form and gives you opportunities to tell us if you have a prayer request that you'd like for us to pray for, if there's information that you need, or something you want us to know about you. And so we encourage you to use that as a tool to help, uh, help connect with us. Out in the foyer, you're seeing that there's lots of changes happening out there. And let me just kind of give you a little guidance on that. On this side over here is the welcome home area, and that is for anybody who is new here. So it helps you understand where to find things on Sunday morning, what we have going on on Sunday morning. So if you're new, that's the area you go to now. Over on the right side, you'll see that some, some, a sign just went up over the last couple days, and it says next steps. And that's really for anything else. You want to sign up for something. You want to get more additional information about something. You want to learn about groups. You want to learn about volunteering. You will go to the next steps area. And we just want to kind of clean that up a little bit because I know it's a little confusing to people. But that's where you'll go. Next steps over here. That's for most of you who are regular attenders here. Those of you who are new, that's over here on this side as well. Uh, CBC Men's Retreat is next weekend. If you're interested in knowing more about that, you will go to the next steps area. That's where you'll go this morning. Uh, membership class, uh, that uh, we would encourage you, if you've not become a member of Cyprus, even if you've been attending here a long time, we'd encourage you to consider taking that step to become part of our family here at Cyprus Bible Church. The best way, you, and that's next Sunday is when it is at the 11 o'clock hour. And the best way to sign up for that are two ways. One, you go to the next steps area and they will be happy to take your information down. We'll contact you during the week. Or the other option is you can um, go on our website, cypressbible.org. And at the very top of that page, you'll see there's a little box that says membership. You click on that and you can give your, us your information as well and we'll reach out to you this week. So again, that's next, uh, that's next Sunday. Uh, also then, uh, we have coming up in a couple weeks, it's called a Serve Workshop, and this is a great opportunity for you to explore how God has created and gifted you. Uh, we do some spiritual gift assessments on um, 
uh, on uh, uh, your spiritual gifts and uh, your personality and some of your history and passions and helps to look at are those things, would those help find places and ways you could serve here at Cypress Bible Church. And so that will be in a couple weeks. And again, you can sign up. Best way to do that today is to go out in the foyer, get one of the flyers, uh, and, and that'll show you how you can sign up for that or you can tell them at that area as well that you'd like to sign up. Coming up on November 6th, Sunday, November 6th, is a Community Sunday. And a Community Sunday is going to be a great celebration uh, this year. Uh, we're coming back after missing those for several years um, with uh, COVID. Uh, it'll be a Baptism Sunday. We have many adults who've already signed up to be baptized, children and youth. And so you're not going to want to miss that, hearing their stories and their testimonies. Also, we'll have a time of child dedication and communion. And uh, there will also be a potluck afterwards. And the best way to sign up for that, go on our website, cypressbible.org. You'll see right on there, Community Sunday. Click on that and you can sign up for that potluck. Uh, message this morning, um, the message this morning, uh, CBC Elder John Perez will be speaking and leading us this morning. And we begin a five-week series called Collisions with Grace, Lessons from the Gospel of Luke. Again, we're glad that you're here worshiping with us. And Chad and worship team, we turn it back over to you. Amen. Let's stand to our feet once again this morning. John 15, uh, John 15, 5 says, You are the branches, I am the vine. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you will do nothing. So today, as we continue to draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So our prayer here today is that he would continue to fill us up with his word and that we respond with our worship, with our praise, because he's deserving of all the honor and all the glory. No matter what season of life you may be walking, into, uh, walking in these doors with, we know that we serve a God who is faithful. And that's what you'll, you'll get here today is, is songs about his faithfulness and his goodness together. Uh, let's continue to sing out. Let's continue to worship. Let's continue to set our eyes on the author and the perfecter of faith who holds all power and all authority this morning. Come on.
Father God, we just come to you today humbled and grateful for who you are and all that you have done for us, God. For your goodness, God, for your faithfulness. That, God, it surpasses all understanding, Father God. That, God, if someone in this room needed hope this morning, they found it in you. If someone needed answers this morning, they found it in you today, God. God, would you posture our hearts this morning to receive all that your word has for us today so that way we may produce good fruit, God, that honors you and glorifies you, that our worship wouldn't end in this room, that it would continue, that it would be a lifestyle, God, of praise to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you're going to do. It's in your son's powerful name that we pray this. And everybody in the house said together, amen. Well, good morning. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Simeon and Anna's response to the faithfulness of God. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading from verses 21 through 38. And as you're turning to your Bibles to that passage, I want to tell you about a young couple who was married, kind of young, and they had uh, two sons. And when the son was three, the oldest son was three years old, the, the, other, the youngest child was a newborn. And unfortunately, this couple had irreconcilable differences, and uh, they ended up in divorce. And this divorce came to affect, obviously, both children. And the reason why was because the father was an absent father in their lives. He was not around. He didn't visit for Christmas. He didn't visit for birthdays. He didn't make phone calls. And so this came to bring pretty harsh uh, damage to both children. Uh, the good thing was that uh, the, the mother of these children, the uh, mother of these two boys, was a Christian. And so they had a, uh, a Christian upbringing. But despite the spiritual guidance of the church and of their mother, uh, the oldest son suffered a lot from this. It produced feelings of unworthiness, of un being, not being loved, and caused him to just come out in moments of rage and violence towards other people. And what was worse was that at church, at the church that they went to, on the Sunday of Father's Day, they would have all the children do arts and crafts for their fathers. And some of them would make cards, write it out to their fathers, make coffee mugs, I love you, Dad. And it's not bad, it's great, right? But then they would line up the children at the front of the church, and one by one, a father would come down and pick up those gifts which their children had made for them. Smiles on their face, they would pick up their, their child, receive the mug, receive the card, and then they would walk back to their pews. And there was this child just left by themselves, tears streaming down his face. Pretty difficult. This is the result of people who are unfaithful. There's just certain things that come with being a father, right? Being there, teaching them how to fix a car, life lessons, tips on how to get a girlfriend, all kinds of great things that a father can do for their son. 
there's just certain things that come with being a father. And this left this young boy with feelings of just unworthiness. And you know what? In the first century B.C., Israel found themselves in a similar situation. Or at least they felt that way. For you see, Rome had expanded their empire. They came into Israel, and they occupied Israel, and many could have been asking themselves, where's God? Where are the promises of the covenant which he made with our father Abraham? Where are the promises that he made to us about being the head and not the tail, about being first and not last? And I'm pretty sure many people felt like God had abandoned them. But there were few. There was a remnant of people who were still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. And that's where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2. We see here that God responds to Israel through Jesus Christ, and he shows that he truly is a faithful God. It might not look like it, but God was working through history for this exact moment where he would put on display the faithfulness of his nature, of who he is. And we're going to see his faithfulness, and then we're going to see the response of two individuals, two righteous people who were waiting for Christ. One of them is Simeon, and the other one is Anna. But before we go on too far, I would like to pray that God would open our hearts to see the faithfulness of Jesus in this text. Almighty Father, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would open our hearts, O oh God, and that you would illuminate our minds to receive the truths which you have for us in your word. And we ask, O oh God, that as we behold Christ, that you would conform us, O oh God, that we would respond in a way that pleases you, in a way that imitates good worship, praise, and a good life that mimics the righteous people of Israel, O oh God. We ask for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we find ourselves in verses 21 through 24. And we read, And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What we have here is a picture of Jesus Christ in infancy. Forty days after he was born, he was presented at the temple, and eight days after he was born, he was circumcised. And what's the importance of this rite of circumcision? Well, the importance of it is that it shows that this child was being included into the covenant people of God. You see, circumcision was given as a sign of God's covenant with his people. It was given to Abraham, the patriarch of Israel, the father of faith. It was given unto Moses as well. And that all children who were male had to go under, undergo this rite of circumcision. It was their way of identifying with their God 
and with the people of God. And what we observe in this text is that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, takes on flesh and he becomes man. He adds manhood to himself. And in Jesus doing so, he is identifying with his people, Israel. Not only that, but he identifies with them in their labors and their anguish and the oppression and their suffering. He comes unto them and he lives amongst men. He tabernacles amongst the people of God. Through the years, what I have come to learn is that when things are going well, when you have an abundance, there's many people around us who are willing to be with us because they have something to benefit from you or from me. Is that not right? We see them in the good times. But in the moments of darkness and moments of suffering is when we truly find out who is for us and who is there to shoulder us and who is there to lift us up. And so when we have Jesus coming in the flesh and, and submitting himself to circumcision, he is doing just that. He's identifying with his people. And it's in this right of circumcision that we have the first sign of faithfulness. He's coming to fulfill the covenant of Abraham and of Moses. And by doing so, he becomes an appropriate substitute for sinners. Not only that, but we also observe that Jesus was presented in the temple. But there's background to this rite. And it, it goes back 1,500 years to when Israel was enslaved in Egypt. God told Abraham that his people was going to be enslaved for 400 years. And when the time was right, God sent Moses to deliver Israel out of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And what God did was he caused plagues to come upon Egypt. And the final one was the most gruesome of them all. Moses had gone before Pharaoh, telling his people to let them go so that they may worship their God. But he refused. And God said that he would cause the death of every firstborn. But in God's judgment and wrath, we observe something that maybe some people miss, and it's his grace. For you see, God provided a means for which the firstborn of each household would be saved and not killed. What was that? Well, many of you already know, but let me remind you that they were by faith supposed to take a lamb. In obedience to God's law, they were supposed to kill the lamb and smear the blood over the doorposts of their house. And when the Lord passed through Egypt, he passed over the houses which had the blood of the lamb. We see that God was merciful and he was gracious to those who believed on his word. But as he continued to walk through Egypt, he noticed that the houses that did not have this blood, his wrath was poured out on those households and the firstborns were killed. And so severe was this judgment that the scriptures tells us that there was not a single household there a firstborn had not died in this judgment. And this is what Moses had commanded all of Israel to commemorate. That each 
firstborn male son that passed through the womb was to be dedicated and consecrated unto the Lord. They were to be redeemed. They were to be given unto the Lord. But what's incredible, there's a plot twist to this. Because Jesus is presented before in the temple. He's presented. He's commemorating. His parents are commemorating this great act of deliverance by God over his people. But guess what? Jesus came to be treated as one who would not be redeemed. Isn't that amazing? That Christ in his faithfulness and his love and in his goodness came so that he would be treated as a criminal so that he would be crucified on the cross as a substitute for those who would believe upon his name and in his works, and they, by the blood of Jesus Christ, would be redeemed and enjoy eternal life forever. This is faithfulness. This is the faithfulness of God on full display for all of Israel to see that their Redeemer had come, that Messiah, the one whom they longed for, the one who they loved and believed in, had come. What great news. What great faithfulness. We've been hurt by the faithlessness of men. Where people betray us. Where people hurt us. But here we have a God who took on manhood. Who took on flesh. He might die in the place of sinners who would believe on him. And this is the faithful Jesus that Luke presents to us as we read the scriptures. Not only that, but we see that as Jesus is being taken into the temple, he's met by a man named Simeon. And as he beholds Jesus, he responds in a wonderful way. Let's read verses 25 and 26. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And there's several descriptors here of Simeon's righteousness, of his holiness to God, that he was set apart by God. He was righteous. That simply means that he was acting and conforming his behavior towards people and towards God in accordance to the nature of the law. He was devout, meaning that he had reverence and fear and he was in awe of who God was and who and what God was doing for Israel. He was filled with the spirit of prophecy. We read three times the spirit of God mentioned in this text. He was spirit-led. And we observe many other righteous men in Scripture who have these traits. But what's interesting here is that Luke describes him as someone who is looking for the consolation of Israel. And that exact phrase does not occur elsewhere in the New Testament. But it basically means that he was looking for the Messiah, the Christ, to come and provide comfort for God's people. And being the righteous man that he was, I can see him understanding the coming Messiah in two ways. Explicitly, we're told in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit told him, gave him a promise that he would not die until he sees the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah, the anointed one who would come and deliver Israel. 
but he also believed the promises which were contained in the Holy Scriptures of the Old Testament. He believed the promises that were contained in the covenant of, with Abraham. He believed in the promises that were contained in the covenant with Moses. Let's think about it for a while, too. What an incredible experience Simeon had. What great privilege Simeon had that the Holy Spirit of God told them that he would not die until he beholds the Messiah. This is unique. This is something amazing. Because when we consider today that we have no idea when Jesus is returning. We don't have that knowledge. In fact, we're told by Jesus himself that he said, no one knows the hour or the day of my coming, not the angels in heaven nor the Son of Man. And he was speaking in his incarnate form, in his form of humility, in his manhood. He did not understand yet when he was to come. Not only that, but Jesus warns his disciples, if they tell you that the Christ is over here, do not believe them. Or if he's over there, do not go over there. And so we have warnings after warnings of how we do not know when Christ is coming. But what we do have is what Simeon had. Simeon had scripture. It was the means of grace by which God extended his promises to his people. We also have this means of grace. We have the eternal word of God that tells us of his promises. And how do we act towards that? How do we respond to the knowledge that Jesus is coming? Are we anticipating his coming? Are we longing for his coming? Are we telling people of his coming? Do we live in accordance to the knowledge of his coming? Or do we treat it as nothing? Or do we dismiss it as those who think that God is slow in bringing about his promises? No. I sure hope not. My hope is that we would react like Simeon who looked and longed for the fulfillment of the promises which God gave to Israel. And how did Simeon respond? Well, we read in verses 27 through 32, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, speaking to Simeon, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms, blessed God, and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people, Israel. Here we have a wonderful praise of Simeon. In fact, his praise was made into a song, a hymn of the early church. But what does it mean to praise God? Well, we see certain characteristic traits of this praise which he proclaimed unto God. He, we see that he was humble. He called himself a bondservant. Not only that, but his praise was in reverence and in awe of God. And furthermore, we see that it is Christ-centric. It speaks and exalts the work of God through Jesus Christ in saving his people. And this is how we should be. Our life should be a life of praise unto God for his work through Jesus Christ. Our lives should be in reverence to God's law, Christ's law, which dwells richly in our hearts. Our life 
should be one that is Christ-centric. It tells people of Jesus. Whether we're at work, we work in a way which Christ would work. If we're with our family, we love our families in a way which Christ would love his family. If we are church, we serve in a way that Christ serves in his church. Do we praise God for his salvation? Not only that, but now we see Anna. I'm going to jump ahead past a couple of verses. And we'll come back to 33 to 35 at the end. But we're going to read 36 and 37 to see and read of Anna. Where we read, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayer. We have Anna who's identified as a prophetess. In fact, it's interesting. Kind of, Luke kind of speaks a little bit more highly of her than, she did, than he did with Simeon. Because he talks to her of her as being a prophetess. She had office. She was of a lineage. It describes also her faithful service unto God, serving day and night, never leaving the temple, always fasting and praying. That's a great testimony. I hope they can say the same thing about me later on. And I hope they can say the same thing about all of us, that we are faithful servants of Christ. And what's interesting, what's great about Anna is that she gives testimony concerning who Jesus is. We read that in verse 38, she says, At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So we see that she's looking as well. And she tells of Jesus to those who are looking for redemption, who are looking for salvation, who are looking for something more than what this world has to offer. She tells them of Jesus. And in Greek, the verbs there are in the imperfect form. That she was speaking and she was thanking God it means it was continuous. It wasn't just here at church that we should thank God. It's not just here in church where we should speak about Jesus Christ. No, it begins here where we receive knowledge of Christ, where we receive those things of God, but we go out and we give thanks and, and we continually give thanks and we tell people of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. This is the model that, uh, of how we are to respond to the faithfulness of God. Maybe there's some teenagers here who have been hurt by friends. Maybe you've been ridiculed or bullied by those who you thought were your friends. Or maybe a coworker betrayed you by taking your ideas and presenting them as their self, their ideas. Or maybe you've been abandoned by your spouse. You thought you were going to have a happy marriage for the rest of life, and all of a sudden, unfaithfulness comes. These are real hurts. These are real problems. And they could cause our hearts to become calloused, to receive new relationships, or even towards God. But let me tell you that the faithfulness of Jesus is great. The faithfulness of Jesus is true. The faithfulness of Jesus 
is eternal. And because of this, we're called to live in a way that responds appropriately to the faithfulness of Christ. When my father left our home, his absence produced anger in me. It caused rage and it caused hatred. I remember one night in particular, as I was alone in the house, I don't even know why. I was alone in the house, and I stood over the kitchen sink. I was looking at my reflection in, in that night sky of the window, just wishing it would all finish, just wishing that all could be done. But I was met by the grace of God. And just like millions upon millions of others, I came to know the faithfulness and the love of Jesus Christ, who truly satisfies our need for faithfulness. We desire faithfulness because faithfulness comes from God, and true faithfulness is only found in the person of Jesus Christ who fulfills his promises and his covenants to us. I want to speak a little bit about Anna, one more. Joseph Parker, he said of Anna, it would seem as if there was just the faintest touch of self-consideration the prayer of Simeon. As he wished to be gone from the scenes that weird him. But the prophetess, 80 and 4 years old, constant through all changes, hopeful through all fears, was willing to linger longer. For she spoke nothing of her own release, but thanked God for his mercy and comforted many that looked for the redemption in, in Jerusalem. Blessed are they who can sing in their old age and turn all their own experience into comfort for those who mourn. My loneliness, my self-hatred, my own disgrace was worth it. Because in that moment of darkness, the brilliance of Christ was made brighter and more beautiful and more lovely. The faithfulness of Jesus calls on us to express gratitude and to share with others the faithfulness of Jesus Christ in coming for sinners like us. And because Jesus is the faithful one who satisfies our desires and our need for faithfulness, the gospel invites us and calls us and actually really demands that we make a decision as to whether or not we will believe and submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ and submit to the rulership and lordship of Jesus Christ or if we will despise it. We return to Simeon's words in verses 33 to 35 where we'll close. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon rightly prophesied to Mary of how Jesus was appointed by the Father to 
be the fall or the rise of many in Israel. In other words, Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, these events divide people. It is the dividing line and our response is either we're going to submit and rise or fall. And further that, our response exposes our hearts. And so we're called this day to make a decision for Christ. What will your response be? Will you respond to the rise of great communion with God for the eternity, or will we fall by rejecting him and never experiencing the love and faithfulness of God which he promises? And for those of us who have already given our lives to Christ, who have believed on the Lord Jesus, let us respond continually. As we see in Anna, it was continual. Let us respond with praise, a life which exalts Jesus Christ. Let us respond with gratefulness, thanking God each day for his work in us, and also sharing the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are in need of salvation. Let us rise. Let us rise that we may have fellowship with Christ forevermore. I invite you to pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for the great gift of Jesus Christ through whom you have shown your perfect faithfulness unto your people. And we ask, oh God, that you would move in our hearts. For those who have not believed and trusted in Christ, we ask that you would be merciful and that you would pour upon them your grace. They might see and behold Christ. That they might believe on him and love him. We ask that your Holy Spirit would do such things of mercy and of grace. And he would apply these truths in our lives. And for those of us who already know you and love you, help us to be faithful as Christ was faithful, as he continues to be faithful and forever will be faithful unto us. Help us, oh God, to show gratitude and to love you with all of our hearts, souls, and minds and to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are lost. We ask these things in the blessed name of your son, Jesus Christ. Let's continue to worship. Let's continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. We sing of his faithfulness together.
How wonderful is the faithfulness of God who has caused us to be born again of spirit and word. Receive this benediction. May the love of the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. <laughs>